you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you should never come to church without your Bible. Jeremiah chapter 15, turn there please and just kind of put your thumb in it, or if you have a fancy Bible, then you have a ribbon marker you can put in it. I got three in mine, so that's pretty cool. Uh, Black, blue, and red, but I digress, as is normal. I want to talk to you, I'm just kind of going to go through a little bit of a short series, something that just kind of came to me. Uh, we often use the, the phrase, you know, I'm losing my grip, or we'll say, don't lose your grip, you know, and uh, we try to hang on tight to keep control, to help us keep control. But I think we should lose our grip in order to find the Lord's. This comes from this thought from E.M. Bounds where he said, It is only when the whole heart is gripped with the passion of prayer that the life-giving fire descends, for none but the earnest man gets access to the ear of God. The reason that this title, Losing Your Grip to Gain His, came up was because I sent this out among my pastor friends and such, And one guy wrote back and said something to the effect of, I'm really not sure what I got a grip on. (laughs) And so uh, I just kind of thought, well, we need to lose our grip in order to gain his, in order to gain God's. Now, you and I can try to hang on to things uh, with all our might, and sometimes we're not certain that those are always the best things to hang on to. Uh, Those are our sources of comfort. Uh, One of them... Today is the 4th of July, as we all know, and one of the things that we need to lose our grip on is where we put our hope in relation to our country, okay? In fact, I would say this, rather than to develop a better worldview, we need to get better at having a kingdom view, and as Christians in America, We need to view our nation through the kingdom. And rather than trying to find a political solution, we need to have a kingdom solution. In fact, that's where we're going to be going in Jeremiah 15 today because we know that freedom, peace, security, those are things that are gifts from God. They're also things that can be removed rather quickly. We often think that these Outlying threats are our greatest enemy, i.e., an invading country, um, another army. We remember the day. I'm a child of the. Am I, were you the 70s or the 80s? Yeah, something like that. 73 model here. So, you know, some of you are a little older than that. Older. <laughs> but we had, uh, back in our day in high school, there was the movie um, Red Dawn. Okay, that was real big back in the day. Okay, now they've made a new one of those. But anyway, uh, and we were all, so they had it in that day, Russians were paratrooping in all over the small town USA and taking over stuff. And that was a big threat. Uh, And then how they invaded the US. And we all think that's how, that's the danger. But it's not. It's really not. Takes a lot to move army across, especially the vastest of oceans we've got. We can be invaded. But I just want to say this, the the main threat to our freedom and the main threat to our way of life, to to the peace we know, exists right inside of us. 
How do you fight that? You fight it on your knees. Now, some of you here, you don't know Jesus today. You don't know him. You just don't. I pray that as you listen to the word of God preached, that you'll understand this, that Jesus died to save sinners. You come to him by faith. You see your own sin nature. You recoil at it. And you ask God to save you from yourself. To get his life for your life. And then you live in freedom and peace. You must repent. These are all components of how you deal with the greatest threat that exists in human existence. And it is the human heart. The sin that emanates from it. Before we move, though, I want to say this just once again. And let's go slow through what Brother Bound said. It is only when the whole heart is gripped with the passion of prayer, passion, that the life-giving fire descends. For none but the earnest man gets access to the ear of God. I think it's this last part with the word earnest that really gripped me. And this was the word in English as we use it, characterized by or proceeding from an intense or serious state of mind. So I just want to ask, when's the last time you prayed with, a, with an intense and serious state of mind where you pursued God for a specific issue again and again and again and again, when's the last time you did that? It's hard to do. I've had some people admit to me this past week, just every time they set out to try to pray harder and to pray more, the more harder and, and, and difficult it is to pray. Because the flesh inside of us doesn't want to do that. But I want you to think of something that just hit me like a ton of bricks on the sabbatical. Jesus. He's our Savior. He's our prophet, our priest, and our king. He's our model, y'all. I'll just say it like that. He's our model. He modeled for us what we should be doing the most. We can't skip the fact that Jesus was on this earth as a perfect man, perfectly God. But he walked perfectly as a man. Listen to what Brother Paul Washer wrote. He said, Jesus is a dependent man. And this is just where we fail. He withdrew himself into the wilderness and he prays. He was ever the dependent and victorious man. Why? What was he always doing? Pray. What were people always doing? Clawing at him more, more, more. We failed to see that. How they thronged about him all the time. And he was always going off to pray. Why? It was his life source. So who is Jesus to us? He's our model. And the one thing the disciples ask him to learn how to do that we can't put no small stock in It's not how to preach, not how to heal, 
how to pray. And undoubtedly, undoubtedly, when he prayed, it must have been truly an awesome sight, a hallowed thing. So Jeremiah 15, you think, well, preacher, where are you going with all this? Ah, you know, you get into the mind of Mickey, you get some trouble. But Jeremiah chapter 15, if you will, I've just been reading through my, through my yearly Bible reading calendar. I can't help but plug that all the time because that's, this is simply just the overflow of where when you read your Bible every day, you, you just pick this stuff up. But I was reading through Jeremiah, and just so we know, Jeremiah is a sad, sad book. It is a book about the judgment of God in finality dealing with the nation of Judah. Because the nation of Israel had already been carted off by the Assyrians, just kind of just, just went out there. Judah's left. Their idolatry had finally reached, as the Bible says, had, their sins had come up before God. And it had become to the it had come to the point where he, as we read in Jeremiah in various places, I am weary of relenting. And you have to put, you have to understand that in Exodus 34, God is long suffering as one of his descriptors as he's telling it to Moses. And he's full of goodness and mercy. But there is a legal limit to sin. And that's what Jeremiah is about. And Jeremiah was the prophet that got to prophesy during that exile. He had a horrible time with it. This message today is not so much about the nation of Judah as it is about Jeremiah. Him. He lived in a difficult time. He saw his nation whom God had touched become nothing more than simply a nation that looked like all the others with all of their idolatry and their gross pagan practices. And he knew what God had said. And, and they bothered. Listen, here's some things about Jeremiah. This is from Chuck Swindoll. Sometimes read him. Jeremiah was nearly 20 years old when he began to prophesy and he did so for over 40 years years that put him around 60 when it was finished 40 years now his atmosphere of what he what it was like for him to preach his message held little weight with the people sound familiar today you go out try to talk to G about Jesus with your friends and family and they're like His message had little weight with the people, but revealed a substantial amount of emotional depth. Here's what he said in one point. In Jeremiah chapter 15 is what caught my eye. Here's God's man for the hour, right? And he has the worst of it. He gets to see Judah go off. Sad. He writes, Woe is me, my mother, that you have borne me a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. He felt like everyone was against him, and they were. They were. I have neither lent for interest, nor have men lent to me for interest. Every one of them curses me. That was Jeremiah's daily reality because he was telling them the truth. You guys don't seem to understand 
Babylon's knocking at the door and you just need to let them in. I hear you knocking and I'm going to let you in. And they're like, shut up, you're a bad guy. You're not a patriot. You no longer stand for the values of Israel. Oh, you have no idea. You people are so warped, you're not even listening to truth anymore. And we often feel like that, don't we? It's Jeremiah. Well, did he get down? Oh, he got down. That's what the beauty of Jeremiah 15 is and why it, 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 it touches my heart so much is because I feel like this sometimes. Now, and I'm in no way where Jeremiah was. We aren't yet. But it's the heart of the prophet that says, I'm just doing what you called me to do and this is how they're, it's just getting old, Lord. So let's read a little. Just real, little, little. Jeremiah chapter 15, if you begin in verses 1 through 4, we're not going to go over those, but he's to the point where he's saying, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth and have their way. It's finished. What a message to stand and say, right? In verse 4, I will hand them over to trouble to all kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for what he did in Jerusalem. We're talking about child sacrifice and things like that. Verse 6, God says, you have forsaken me. You have gone backward. Therefore, I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I am weary of relenting. And therefore, uh, uh, God's telling what he's going to do. And then you get to verse 10, what we just read. Woe is me, my mother. This is just too much for a man to take. How am I supposed to stand in it? They aren't listening. And then it says in verse 11, The Lord said, Surely, I like this. This is beauty. This is what caught me. Surely it be well with your remnant. What he's saying is, it will be well with the time you have left, Jeremiah. I will cause the enemy to intercede with you in time of adversity and in the time of affliction. And in fact, he was looked after by the enemy. He was. God rescued him. But it was a hard ministry. You see, here's the irony. The nation that he sought to serve the nation that he was identified with and was a citizen of saw him as the enemy and treated him as such because he told him the truth of God. The nation who was the enemy of Judah turned out to be his ally. And they knew that he was inside the city walls saying, you guys need to stop. God has ordained this. You're done. That's how warped and twisted things had become. Jeremiah found himself addressing a nation hurtling headlong toward judgment from God. The Israelites have been fear, or may have feared the future as the outside powers drew near, but rather than respond with humility and repentance, which is what God is after, the people of Judah primarily lived as islands unto themselves. There used to be a dumb country song. I hated that thing. It's still, sometimes I hear Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers, Islands in the Stream. That is what we are, and I just hated that song so bad. And, um, and what it is is saying is that I'm going, we as a couple, or we as a group, or we as individuals, we're going to live in our own truth. 
in our own affection. We're going to do that. And that's what we see happening today. The people were living as if God did not exist and they did everything that was right in their own eyes, disregarding both the Lord's commandments and the increasing danger that resulted from their disobedience. But it was a danger they could not see. Why? We're we're reading our Bible going, it's right there. Just turn the page and you'll see it because we get wrapped up in it, right? But we have to understand that when we get so far down the rabbit hole of sin, the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's conviction becomes way less. It's only through breakthrough of a major move of God in mercy that He will allow you to see it. Case in point, case in point. Jonah, when he went to preach at Nineveh, didn't want to go, knew the mercy of God. He preached in Nineveh, and what did the king of Nineveh do? Tore his clothes and repented. National repentance happened. There was a revival that happened over there. He goes and sits down on a hill because he's unhappy with it. Because he was messed up too. We're all broken. Point is, when you're that far away in your sin, you don't quite feel it as much. And to a point where God will simply allow you to go that far. Well, Jeremiah, this is his group that he's talking to. So because Jeremiah prophesied in the final years of Judah before God's people were exiled to Babylon, it makes sense that the book's theme is judgment. This is what I want to get to, though. However, an element of grace is also present in these events. I'll read that in a second. The fall of Jerusalem comes nearly 900 years after the original covenant between God and the Israelites at Sinai in the Sinai Desert. Because if you remember, they came down off the mountain. God gave the law. They broke the covenant before he even got off the mountain. And for 900 years flirted with foreign gods. For 900 years, God's mercy went forth. Some of you get exasperated with your children because you say, I've been on them for a few days about this and they still hadn't changed. A few days, 900 years. I had to tell them three times, 900 years. Okay, and that's God's mercy, so extensive. They went, they just headlong went past that. Such an extended period of time witnesses to God's great patience and mercy, allowing His people the opportunity to turn from their sinful ways. A lifestyle they began not long again after they struck the original covenant with God. So, I want to get to this. The goodness of God. Now, Jeremiah is here. If you will turn with me back in Jeremiah 15. And verse 15, he says, O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your enduring patience, do not take me away. Know that for your sake I have suffered rebuke. He's, he's losing his grip. You, you see that? He says, your words were found and I ate them. <laughs> your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name. I sat alone, look in verse 17, I sat alone because of your hand, for you have filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual? Why is my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed? Will you surely be to me, he's asking God this, like an unreliable stream as waters that fall? He just called God capricious. 
Jeremiah did that. He's losing his grip. He's losing it. He's, he's persecuted. He's driven down. He's just stuck. And that's why he needs to get God's grip. And that's exactly what we see happen. Verse 19. Here's what God says. I love it so much. Because there's an obvious thing happening here that you might not have picked up yet. Therefore, thus says the Lord, in response to what Jeremiah was asking and saying and really complaining about. If you return, then I will bring you back. You shall stand before me. If you take out the precious from the vial, you shall be as my mouth. Let them return to you, but you must not return to them. I will make you to this people a fortified bronze wall, and they will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you. Now notice, this is so beautiful. I am with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem you from the grip, there it is, of the terrible. Why? Because he was in God's grip. Jeremiah was losing his grip because he had taken on what the world was saying around him. He was starting to believe the headlines. He was on he was social media too much. Too much. Too much. And God came along and said, You're drifting. You're getting out there. Your thinking's become corrupt. Turn back and look at me. I hadn't failed you yet. And then he promised he never would. And you know he didn't. He didn't. Now, just in case, and to me, that's, that's a telling thing because we need that. I can't help. Look, you all know what's going on in our nation. I don't have to preach about that it, it, today. But I do think I need to remind us what God has promised to his faithful followers, what God has promised to his children. That's real. That is true. He's got you. So if you need to lose your grip, would you hurry up and gain his? Oh, the thing that's happening here. You know what Jeremiah's doing with God? He's talking to God. You know, we have another word we use for that. You know what it's called? He's praying. <laughs> He's praying a lot. It's all through the Bible. Praying a lot. If you go on over a few chapters and you read, and you don't have to turn there, but if you go to Jeremiah 30, uh, 32, verses 36 through 42, describe how God promises that He's going to bring back Judah to their land. And He did. Seventy years later, He did that. And consequently, something I read earlier today, they pretty much got cured of their chasing false gods around. Now, they got a little too stringent in law and legalism and the temple because our hearts are idol factories, people. We create them out of anything. But God is good. Look at this, Exodus 34. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth. We don't need a political solution. 
We need God's truth. You know who that's captured in, y'all? That's captured in us. If we know Jesus, if you know Jesus, you're an ambassador for the Most High God. And out of you should go the praises of the Lord Jesus Christ to diffuse His gospel everywhere you go. We have tracks for that out back. We have this one and we have these all out on the track rack. Are you prepared? Real quick, I want to tell you, I was at Home Depot this week. And it just kind of came out. The kid, young kid, said, you guys find everything you need. And the first thing I said, well, I hadn't found any money yet. And I said, and then he goes, oh, yeah. I said, have you found Jesus? It just kind of came out. <laughs> it just kind of came out. He looked at me, and, and uh, uh, um, uh, he was a Hispanic kid. He goes, you mean like the guy? I said, no, like the guy. Because, you know, I forget that Jesus and stuff. I said, no, the Jesus. Do you know him? It just kind of came out. It was just one of those involuntary things that was going on. And, and, uh, and I be, I, I, he, he just was looking at me like shocked. And I said, well, yeah. I said, 36 years ago, he found me. He goes, he did? I said, yeah. I said, I, I've known him for 36 years. Like, God Almighty gave him my sin. He goes, yeah, I don't know Jesus like that. He said that, though. It was pretty cool. He goes, I, I don't know Jesus like that. So I shared uh, the, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and was able to share that, and it was all over in about three minutes or less. It's like, that was cool. But the point is, that's what we do. You just don't know. He could have said, weirdo in aisle 13. Okay? But he didn't. He actually, I could see the clarity. He knew that he didn't know Jesus that way. He knew that he didn't know God like that. He says, I don't know God personally. This was his words. I don't know God personally like that, no. Really got serious quick. So, <laughs> diffuse and uh, gave him the gospel. It was really cool. Wish I had a track in my pocket then, but I didn't. Bad preacher. But uh, that's what we do. Because God is, if you look in these verses, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But notice the bottom part. He's not going to clear the guilty. For his holy name's sake, he has to judge sin. Jesus. He bore God's wrath for me. God's wrath for me. He took mine. All of that strange fire He took from me. And He gave me His life. I am free today. I live in a free country. But even if it were to become unfree, I'm still free. Notice in the green. Let us not grow weary in doing while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. How? This is why how do you lose your grip to gain his? Well, we're fixing to move into it. JT, you want to go ahead and come up? Church, I'm going to sound like a broken record from now until the day that I die. I just know it. It is ingrained in me with a chisel of hardened steel. 
the war, the battle, the answer, the solution that we are to engage in, pursue, and attain is found in prayer. Not casual prayer, not flippant prayer, not popcorn praying, but a pursuit of the kingdom and the throne of grace. Today is Corporate Prayer Sunday. I know you all have plans, some of you. I've asked people prearranged. Brother David let it out this morning. And I've asked them to pray over specific areas. When JT begins to, to play, I want you to think about this. Where our country is, where your family may be, your friends you love, the fact that there's still time, this is grace, okay? And think about you as a Christian to pray. And as they come up to pray at their appointed time, you be praying. And let's join with them. The altar is open if you want to come and lay it down on the altar. But I'm going to open us up. Then Brother Rich and Bryant and uh, so on will come in the order. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for being our God. We come into your courts with praise today. And we thank you that you abound in mercy. For you are a loving God. Full of mercy and goodness. Long-suffering. How could we withhold anything from a lost world that you've said about your heart? So God... Today, as we dedicate the remainder of these moments to you on this Sabbath day, please be pleased to be with us and inhabit the prayers and the praises of your people. Change us. Change us in the prayer closet, God. We cannot be exposed to the sun and not come away marked. 